Hey there, welcome to your basket is empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people doing cool stuff in e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. This is series one of 2021, and I am back in London, hence the lovely audio fidelity one can only achieve from high quality, sure mics. On this episode, I chat to Anna Angelic, a strategy executive, author of The Business of Aspiration, one of Forbes' most influential CMOs, and recently appointed chief brand officer at Banana Republic. We unpack some themes in her book, learnings from 2020, using your personal brand to add value, and the importance of being patient. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Anna, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Hi, Tim. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, we are now Miami, Miami New, slash New York. At the moment, sunny Miami. So, yes, you, you, you have escaped the depths of the NYC winter, I believe. And, and you did show me a picture before of a lovely palm tree. So I'm assuming it is nice and balmy and warm where you are. It is. That is lovely. Um, I can uh, safely say I cannot see any palm trees from my view. I'm currently in Dublin, although it is very pretty. It's cold, but pretty. Um, Well, no, there are like upsides to and downsides to everything. So I I would love, love that I could just hop over the Atlantic and go to either Dublin or London or just anywhere in Europe or anywhere, actually. I think the cap and fever has well and truly set in. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's, all, it's all about perspective and, and, and balance. And I think once um, I uh, have a strong um, premonition that, that, yeah, everyone will be itching to get out of there wherever they are once all of this passes. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's something to think about. Like, are people going to be still, like, hesitant or are they going to rush towards the game? I don't know. It's a really good question and, and we'll get onto it in a bit. But I, 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 my sense is that there must be some sort of formula. The longer that something like this happens, the probably the like quicker some rebounds are, but then some of them take a little bit longer because people are a little bit afraid. You know what I mean? So they might go into their local area quickly. Like, so in Europe, I imagine there'll be lots of people, you know, flooding to sort of, um, uh, you know, the warmer parts of Portugal or Spain or France, but longer haul flights and, and that sort of thing, maybe there might be a little bit of hesitation. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. Well, yeah, I think it also, the longer this lasts, the more people are either going to have a vaccine or a disease. So, you know, they're going to be immune either way. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to get on to that. I suppose I try and avoid the the, the COVID because I, I assume that there is a, let's talk about fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, so one observation I had um, before we jumped on this call was that you, you are one of the first people I've interviewed with lots and lots of Google search results 
pages. There's a lot of information about Anna, which says to me that you've got some serious experience and planning to stay, but I want to start by focusing on you. So can you give me a little insight into your journey thus far? Yeah, of course. So uh, if you want to, I think it's probably hard to distinguish personal, professional and uh, so on, but let's, let's start. I'm Serbian. I'm from Belgrade. I moved to New York 20 years ago to my master's and my PhD. And um, I was also working in, in, in digital agencies, AKQA, Razorfish, uh, Huge, Droga5, that's creative agency, so on, and then switched to brand side to be a CMO in fashion, uh, luxury, and lifestyle space. As to... Uh, Google search results, I think it has a lot to do with, uh, you start with, with having, I guess, a blog back then that was like 12, 13 years ago, 13 years ago now when I started a blog. I love marketing, but love was like scratched. So it was always critical view at what's going on in, in, in marketing broadly defined. And, uh, and then, you know, just writing for Ed Age, Ed Week, Fast Company, and, and then it went from there. And, uh, and I mean, now it's, it's, it's about the book. So people are tired of my book, <laughs> of me. <laughs> and book. But, you know, you have to promote that, you know? It's like writing a book is an easy part. Promoting it is, is a hard part. So I'm like, I don't care. I, I wrote this book, like, you know, like, you'll, you'll hear about it. <laughs> Well, that, 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 that's a good segue in, into the book. And I think that that is something that I definitely want to touch on. So it's called The Business of Aspiration. Um, I'm sure people can go and do their own research, but tell me a little bit more about what was it that you were trying to get forth and what are some of the hypotheses in, in the novel? Yes, so that was a combination of things that I studied when I was doing my PhD and then I was like interested later, which is taste and aspiration and status signaling and basically social influence and how trends trend in society and uh, how uh, how we convey our distinction basically and also similarity in, in, in groups. And combination of that kind of thinking and then thinking... Um, and in my actual job, day-to-day -day work, uh, is how does brand strategy look like when consumers' values are, 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 are rapidly shifting? It's not only their media habits or their, 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 their shopping behavior, behaviors. It's also what, what they pay attention to, what they, spend, they, they want to spend their money on, what they worth they deem worth their time, what, again, what, what do they value in terms of culture, society, environment? And um, while this is not new, the aspiration economy at all, and we had it for probably 70 years, ever since IKEA made the affordable well-designed furniture and Ryanair did like $10 lights the entire economy sort of shift over services and experiences and tourism and art and food and culture it's also something that's been happening very rapidly in the past five years i would say and that really influences what how how a company creates buyer value how do they innovate and then also how do they define value they're creating so that it goes beyond just production and products and goes into creating social, cultural and environmental capital. I'm keen to understand then 
like what do you think has kind of caused this shift? So you mentioned like Ryanair and and IKEA as good examples in the past where you know things have started to change. But what what's your take on some of the reasons as to why this shift in aspir- aspirational thinking has has occurred? So I see that as a big shift. One is is a move towards knowledge economy from manufacturing. So economy shifted from production of tangible goods, at least in the developed world. That's what I'm looking at. So you you, you move your factories to China, to India, to Bangladesh. And uh, and what the, the European countries in the US started creating, when you look at innovation in a Silicon Valley, it's innovation, it's about improving the quality of life for a very privileged group of people. So removing friction from ordering food, removing friction from ordering a car, being able to, to, to very quickly either find information, social signal, find a mate, whatnot. So that is where sort of innovation is going. It's not anymore creating a, a faster car, it's creating a faster way to do X. So that is that move towards the intangibles. And then in Europe, and even here, we've seen the explosion of tourism, thanks to Ryanair to a large degree. Everyone can, like travel used to be for really rich people, then it was like mainstream, but something that you did maybe once or twice a year to something now that you do every weekend. And uh, that sort of became a new status symboling, like one weekend you're in Madrid, the other you are in Sicily, the third year in Istanbul, and so on. So that is how economy started making money through moving like cultures and moving people and moving services and sort of delivering the intangibles. And uh, and then of course when when this year happened, all of that like sort of collapsed. And I think it's a this year is actually a good example to observe it. Because otherwise we wouldn't have even thought about it. We would thought about the, the natural economic progression. And now we are really forced to see what is the most what are the most valuable things in society, both economically but also socially, environmentally, and so on. That's an interesting observation, and I suppose that leads nicely into something else I was keen to learn. So let's take last year out of the equation for a minute. How far into this shift? do you think we are? So you, you mentioned, you know, again, IKEA and Ryanair and then a lot of the other disruption across other sectors and so forth. That, that's been going on for, for, for a little while. Um, but how far into this shift do you, do you think we are? Are we at the, the very beginning of it? Are we at the, in the middle and, and or, or are we towards the end? I think that it's, I don't think it's linear at all. And, uh, and I think we've been going towards that as we are seeing that that like the food and drink and hospitality and experiences and transformational experiences and the sort of exercise have overtaken uh, what we use to signal our, our first status signaling basically. So that's been going on for a while and it's going to continue going on for a while. However, new aspirations creeped in and 
as much as I would like to. I can't take this year out of equation because this year we've seen that putting community before the individual became a strong aspiration, taking care of each other and sort of reminding ourselves of... Um, more human, more kind way to do work, less efficiency, more, more uh, sort of hu bringing humanity back. And I don't think it's going to go away. In a sense, that is also a new aspiration. It may go away in a, in a few years when we're all back to, you know, to whatever we were doing before. But I think that aspirations are very dynamic thing. I describe the macro shift that one is... Um, is knowledge economy and the other is value innovation basically like IKEA introduced the new value curve by shifting the cost of, uh, of, of creating furniture to the customers, assembling it. So when you look at those different value curves, they're all over the place. Again, that's why I brought up um, Ryanair as well, and also a lot of innovations. They say, hey, you used to pay for, for example, for restaurants, you used to pay to go to a restaurant to have that experience. And now you can maybe have, you know, the, the decoupling the, the restaurant kitchen from, from the rest of it. Not necessarily a great thing, but that's an example. So when you look at uh, aspirations, they do come as the trends change. But I think the overall aspiration is to, 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 to kind of shift from accumulation of things, physical things, to some to accumulation of taste, of your community curation, sort of collecting, moving towards something that's that's that is more intangible, and that is the shift that I don't think is going to go away because overproduction is killing our planet, and being incredibly busy is killing us. So we, it's almost like adaptive thing. And do you think, uh, just as you're explaining it there, I'm I'm kind of. The, I appreciate that you're looking at it macro to take it to a micro individual level. Do you think that it changes as you move through life? So do you think you be, as you become more aware as a, say a young adult, it increases this intangible aspiration. And do you think with the new generations that, you know, we seem to be following us, is it getting shorter? So they're becoming uh, more aware of these things earlier on in their lives. I think it has more to do with the um, traditional class still than it has with age because you will actually see that it's almost reversed that the younger people are looking for more sustainable brands for environmentally conscious solutions versus, and also for more of a cultural signaling versus the previous generations. But you also see that in... It's, it's also like you'll see people in, in, in Tribeca in New York and they're all about yoga and whole foods and, you know, like lymphatic massage and so on. So it's, it's, it's a combination of age, but it's, it's the biggest thing is just the going towards invisibility in, if, if you're really, really rich versus lower classes still desire to show off and we're seeing that even with like social media influencers who are like now if like downtown new york it's all zara h&m uniqlo 
people are not buying like expensive, super expensive fashion because next year is going to be different. In three months, mm. it's going to be different. So why would you, you know, you're not, you're not going to get a lot of like wear out of it if you can't go anywhere. So might as well, you still want to be fashionable and take Instagram photos. So you buy $5, you know, sweater and so on. So, but even then it's more about demonstrating one's personal style rather than showing the quality of a product or so or or price the socio-demographic angle is certainly an observation i took away from 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 reading more about what you've written but you touched on it before what what do you think in terms of geography have you seen any differences in this concept um like you're originally from europe and i assume you kind of have got still got links and then obviously um uh, observations of here but you but you live in the states so it, are you seeing any differences you know between the two countries or areas at least there obviously but again let's go back to that to the class because even when you look at it traditionally like bling dynasty like in china it was all logos logos uh, and flashy, they're now, their affluence are moving towards more refined, if I say, or more taste-driven. They're developing their taste. So it all depends where you, on a taste continuum you are, a person is. So even in China, which is traditionally thought of as the flashy, is that shift towards more of a uh, stealth kind of showing off of wealth. But then you will always have like Middle East or Russia. But again, I don't, I wouldn't want to like geographically label it because within that you have that global class. And I think that similarities are much bigger than differences. So you would have someone who knows about the latest sneaker drop or they know about the latest collaboration and they have the latest remote luggage. For example, rather than uh, rather than 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 having I don't know traditional luxury, or maybe in addition to having traditional luxury. We touched on it before um, when we started talking about you know what an exceptional year last year has been. Um, I'm keen to get what, what's your take on it. <laughs> what we, 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 I suppose, and and maybe more specifically, you, you touched on an interesting question before, and that is like, how quickly do you think we as humans will revert back to our kind of previous habits? Do do you think we will go back quite quickly, or do you think that we've seen an acceleration of so many things that that we are going to see a very different world, you know, from this year onwards? I think the muscle memory when it comes to consumption is is really high and I think that is the area that 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 we are going to go back towards because when you see like even even now like as I said people are still looking for ways to signal their difference they're still looking for ways to to present themselves as different from others to signal their social status. So there is no reason to believe that that's 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 a human trait. There is no, no reason to believe that that is not going to be the case. So we are going to, 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 to you know, buy clothes, buy, you know, makeup, and, and we can't wait to go out and socialize. So that is something that that I don't think it's it's really going to change. So now when it comes to work, when it comes to travel, these are like 
those are the ones that are like long hold. When it comes to how we spend our money, that may also be like a little bit different. But I think we shouldn't disregard that habits take a long time to form and then this probably is not enough time for them to be undid. Yes, we are. We are a very habitual species. I, I, I was keen to sort of um, switch gears slightly and, and focus a little bit on some of the work that you've done with brands. But I, I suppose I wanted to pose a question to you and uh, a hypothetical. So let's say uh, we're starting a new design-led direct-to-consumer pure play e-com brand uh, and it's 2021. What, what sort of advice would you be giving to a brand like that? What sort of strategy would you be suggesting for them? direct to consumer brand and they're what you said retail or just yeah let's assume yeah that they're, they're, they're retail probably in in a, in a vertical not mattresses <laughs> we'll say something along the line you know like maybe health well-being oh. um that that kind of world you know something that is is, is got a bit of traction but is maybe not uh totally uh swamped with competitors Right. I'm just trying to figure out, is it like apparel brand? Is it food brand? Is it because that, that like now, if there is one thing, the strategies for all those different verticals are really different. Because when you look, if something is for home, it's probably very different than a brand that's meant to be shown outside. Mm. So maybe yeah. that is the first distinction. So let's let's just say that would be the first question. If if you, if it's like cookware or if it's condiments or if it's sort of ingredients or food or 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 um, subscription uh, meal service that is very different than you are in a business of selling sneakers or accessories or or apparel. So that is the sort of the, the first thing based on what I said, or even even active wear, which, which spans both categories. I would advise them to really look how culture has rapidly changed this year, how actually it went from strong individualism, at least in the United States, to this strong social good communal dimension. And that's not just what I said before, that, that that human aspect of taking care of each other because we have to, but it also the fight for social justice and equality and diversity, that is the forefront. So I would start from that. I would start from, from the modern aspirations and that is what do consumers find valuable today? Is it more about, is their target group more on a sustainability side? Is it more on social signaling side? Is it more on cultural sort of status side? So I would look at that as well. And then I would probably also look at mm -mm, who are your new heroes? Like, because that shifted a lot from just like celebrities, Instagram influencers, to those who make a difference in their communities. Mm. And then also like this like norm core, cottage core, gore core, you know, it's like spending time in nature, taking care of oneself, taking care of others. And then what is the well-being? How is the well-being defined with? And sort of what are your new cult objects? They really switched from maybe the eat bag to Peloton bike. Mm, mm. So I would look at, or, or, or even like your new cookware is your cult object to take it out every day, you find joy in, in using it. 
And do you think that there's any brands that are doing this particularly well? I think there are a lot of brands that that are doing good things that that they're focusing on creating a community around themselves. And that, but those are the ones who used to already be focusing on building a community. You can't just like reverse engineer that, and you can't shortcut that. So there is this active brand, Girlfriend Collective, who is made completely out of recyclable plastic in uh, S8000 certified factory, which means that the workers are, are given health insurance and protections. So they have, a, their, their very name is, is, is about the collective and the community, and they are all about diversity and inclusivity and showing never, never, photoshopping and airbrushing the models but they didn't do that this year they've been at it for like past five years or my favorite example is always tracksmith which is basically elevated running basics but they have also strong community and, and before they had events and races so it's all about creating the service and the creating the social and cultural value that's how you bring your your brand or i mean the old example is of course patagonia which which made their mission in their their the certified b corp which i believe that more and more companies are going to become with a accelerated climate crisis yeah that's interesting i i, I like the tracksmith brand I, I know them very well um I believe there may be some connection to the Rafa cycling brand. I think maybe um, yeah, they're another good the brand. Same yeah, and uh, similar ideal. Um, the, the 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 Rafa have done a great job of um, that community community building aspect and kind of online offline experiences. I think that the it feel, do, do you think that the one of the it feels one of the key um, similarities between a lot of the examples you gave there is a, a, maybe a sense of authenticity. Like they happen to just continue doing what they're doing. And particularly maybe the example of Patagonia, it's happened to become part of the zeitgeist and they just keep doing what they're doing. And it happens to be, you know, a good idea, which seemed maybe a bit weird. 30 years ago that you would be putting maybe the environment before your profits, but it's become more uh, part of the vernacular now. Right. I think it's less the sign of a zeitgeist and more a sign of the new value system and more of a sign of that shift in aspiration that I was talking about, that basically there won't be no planet if more companies don't do that. So there's sort of best practice. You can still make a profit, but you can create environmental value as well. And I think that now that we have generation of consumers that puts that as a priority, that what was once an aspiration is going to become table stakes. Because even in, in luxury fashion or fashion overall, you're seeing this like giant leaps towards making more sustainable clothes oftentimes this is more of a concept car you know just a pr thing mm -hmm. but again not to be cynical we shouldn't be cynical about that because any effort is a good effort and like stella mccartney was doing what patagonia was doing for a really long time and now that is something that 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 
that a lot of brands are doing. So I think it's it's more again the new value system and that that the companies figure out that they, they should follow that best practice. Otherwise, they're just going to be left behind. I suspect that you do a lot of work with a lot of brands because that's basically your thing. I'm keen to understand what your thoughts are about personal brand um, and in particular your own brand. Like, is that something that you think is important and kind of how do you go about managing the, the Anna brand? Well, you know, I would like to think that I was strategic about it, but in all everything, like in all other things that I do, I sort of never, never focused on, on building. I never think of that as a, as a brand because to have a brand, I think you need to have some sort of well-constructed narrative, even if that narrative is, is true. And for me, it was more like, how can you... It's also being consistent over time. So I think that in that sense, I achieved a brand through consistency and through sort of doing every day what I'm doing. You, you can't take a day off, basically, if, if you want to have a if you want to have a brand. So you, you have to keep moving. You, you have to stay relevant in a sense, not just like, hey, look at me, look at me, but more like adding value to people's conversations. And I think that's probably the great lesson for all brands to, to, to focus on adding value. And how, how do you personally find that you, you do that? Is it, is it a matter of staying like really curious um, you strike me as someone that's very hungry and passionate about what, what you do. Is that a key element to this? It's a, that is definitely part of it. It really does happen, help if, if a person is self-motivated, if they're passionate, if they're curious, if, if they're sort of like uh, always willing to move, keep moving and, and, and learning new things and never be sort of complacent. It definitely helps. But honestly, majority of that is just like delivering day in and day out. It's like it's, it's just doing the work, doing the legwork, not being lazy. I think it's an interesting point. I, I, I totally agree. I think one can get very swept up in the noise of like self-help, additional things to help you be a better person. And whilst I feel that there is a huge amount of benefit in those things, I think hard work is kind of the key, right? Like you, you just got to get out of bed every day and just do it. You just, you just got to go yeah. for it. And, and, and I think that, I, I mean, I, I'm very conscious of saying that as well though, because I'm, you know, personally have, have, you know, been affected by things like burnout and that is a mental health issue. And I think people need to be very cognizant of that. Um, but it, yeah, I, I, I do agree. I don't think there's a substitute for hard work. I think that that is just something. And then I suppose the, the counter to that is if you're passionate and you're uh, curious about that thing, then it makes it less work, if you know what I mean. So it's more, it's, I think you, you touched on it before nicely. It's how do you distinguish personal and professional? And I think you get to a stage in your life where they, they don't necessarily, you know, they're kind of very much intertwined. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like what sort of drives you drives you. It's it's one thing that 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 that's your your sort of motor, that crazy thing that, that makes us, you know, like want to change the world, maybe not, not us personally, but human race. And that for me is the ultimate 
aspiration is something that to me is a very human term because like they saw them like we saw the moon and we we're like oh we want to go to the moon or we want to you know like discover more and and so that is that is something that it, it's the best the best achievements are those that are that come from that very human place very human aspiration and of course you can't then distinguish but then what the the other part is the discipline really because you can't really coast you can't really like it's easy to get lost into self-promotion without anything to promote. So it's always, <laughs> asking the, you know, like it's always having the balance and asking the question, like, does this help people in their everyday jobs? Is that going to help them like think better? Is it help them like do their job better? And then you have every right to promote it because then you're just spreading it to as many people as possible. It stops being about you. It starts being about them. Yeah. And, I so having a look at your kind of portfolio, um, you 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 do some speaking, you work with brands, you write. Where do you find your state of flow? Where are you most happy in all of those different things that you do? Well, I wouldn't have I wouldn't do them if if I didn't enjoy them. So everything that you see that, that you, the things that I didn't enjoy, you probably won't see there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, okay so what talk me through that then so yeah what, what are the things that you you know you you've done that you were like okay i've done that mm, that's not for me oh so many i mean not so many but like they're they're like i can't like i can't, I can't talk i like only the best about you know like the those so i don't i don't even like remember that i just move on and i just don't think i think i've become but like as we grow more experienced and older we know what what makes us stick and we know what to say no to so i don't know if there are any like there is no i would never say yes to something that i it's not aligned with what i think is going to make me happy and make them happy yeah and i think um time is the key element there the, the the more you grow and learn you understand where those things are that you want to pursue and what you don't i, I would say though one thing I, I have found certainly in terms of uh i suppose uh, like managing people and hiring people um an observation i've had is there is it seems to be a traditional thought that one needs to kind of find their calling quite early on and my personal experience is there is nothing wrong with doing stuff and going, okay, I don't want to do that again. And that it wasn't a failure. It was a, oh, I've tried that and that's cool. And all right, I'm going to go this way now. Um, and, and, and as opposed to, you know, uh, finding that that calling from a young age. And, and I certainly know people that have done that. You know, I you know, grew up with people who always wanted to be like a doctor or, or an accountant or, or a lawyer or whatever it was, you know. Um, or maybe, you know, plenty of people, you know, I grew up with, you know, became, they went down a vocational route, you know, and became a, an electrician or, or they were artists or whatever. And they just knew it from the, you know, they knew it from day one. That's where they wanted to be. And I always was a bit envious of that concept. Like, oh, wouldn't it be so nice to just have a path and that's it. That's your shining light. But I don't necessarily think that, that that is the the only path. You know, you can try a few things out and that's cool. Like if you start narrowing down things to a broad area, 
then that's kind of not a bad way of going about it also. Oh, absolutely. I, with that, I mean, we all need to go sort of through that iteration process, you know. You iterate and iterate. I don't think it's dramatic. So you say, oh, I'm never going to do that again. But like, ah, you know what? I enjoyed that part of it, of, the, of, of, say, doing research. But I didn't really enjoy, like, this, like, other part. So maybe I should just incorporate the part I enjoy, what I want to build next. And that's why I think that we are having also different... Um, ways how we how we shoot and how we think about our careers which is basically we are ourselves responsible to define the roles that we want to have not to necessarily fit into all the prescribed roles that 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 exist which is how most organizations work that also goes back to thinking about the more human way so you you create a role for the person not the person for for the role and i think all of us have sort of somewhat different paths in becoming experts or specialists or or generalists in in sort of what what we do and i think that diversity should be should be sort of celebrated and encouraged and not sort of like oh do you do you check all those boxes or does your resume look xyz absolutely um i'm keen to sort of start to draw it to a close and i think this is a good point to sort of a slight inflection point where we're where we're thinking forward but we're also looking backwards so i wanted to to take this opportunity to look backwards a little bit and go or ask you the question, what, what advice would you have given to your younger self? Was there anything key that you've picked up along the way? Well, you know what? I try to sort of go through my life being very present and thinking and maybe overthinking, you know? And, and so I don't have that like, oh, you know, like there was this giant inflection point or this is a giant learning and I don't think anyone really does. That's the, that's the sort of narrative we, we create later on. But there are a lot of micro inflection points. And I think that like having patience is, is a big sort of uh, benefit if a person can have it while they're still young. Like all of us like sort of acquire patience as we age. But like when we're young, we're very impatient. So I think that is something to kind of keep... Uh, keep an eye out for not just my younger self, but everyone's younger self. <laughs> because, like, you know, the things sort of work out towards the way they're going to work out. And obviously, like, we are active participants in that. But, you know, like, often we, we wish for things that, that, that are more what we think we should wish for versus what we really wish for. I think that's sage advice. I like that concept of the the patience continuum as you as you get older yeah. and you, you acquire more patience. Look, I want to draw to a close, Anna, and a, a couple of questions to to, to finish it off. Um, first off, you seem like you've achieved a lot. That's definitely the observation I've got um, f f from getting to know you. So, what what's next for you? Like, what's on your list of things to do? Well, I always said that after, I mean, I finished the book this year and then, you know, started the newsletter, running the newsletter. So I sort of want to take all of that in some big organization and implement it. So I think that is for me the next step to sort of like use this knowledge to be of service in the real life setting in a big context of a large organization, large retail organization that has a big footprint and sort of modernize their brand. That sounds like a fantastic <laughs> next step. And I suppose the final 
not so much question, but where can people find you? How can they get in contact? Oh, they can Google me, as you pointed out. <laughs> that <laughs> is very easy. true. That is very true. <laughs> Which may be the easiest regarding my wonky last name, but they can also uh, just type in thebusinessofaspiration.com which is my book website but it's also websites when you have links to my newsletter to my portfolio website to my business of aspiration video series to my portfolio like to i already said to my like instagram linkedin gmail everything so thebusinessofaspiration.com that's perfect anna thank you so much for joining me that was fantastic Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. There you go. Massive thank you to Anna for joining me. Go check her out at www.andjelica.com. I will chuck the website in my podcast notes. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, subscribe, download, and tell your mates at the local RSL to do exactly the same. I will see you next time.